imagine an intruder is walking around looking for signals or is able to intrude into your home network and then gets into your thermostat right then it's very easy for them to learn well, where is this is it in home mode or away mode which is sort of giving an invitation to come and you know sort of come in break in right so a lot of things needs to be considered security is really important for uh, these connected products Well, welcome back to Cloud Talk. I'm your host, Jeff Deverter. Now, whether it's manufacturing or mining, any delays can cost the company's owners potentially millions of dollars per day, let alone the downstream impact across the entire value chain. The solution, more and more, is IoT. As we liberate that data from the manufacturing floor and push it out to the cloud where we can do true analysis and transformation based on it. That's the focus of our conversation today. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Now, on the other side of this interview, I've got some information for you as well as some thoughts on the episode. So I sure hope you'll stick around. All right, let's get on with this week's episode. The line between application and infrastructure is virtually invisible in these modern apps. The kind of thing that a global computing fabric with immense resilience and scale can deliver without even breaking a sweat. That's really what the promise of the cloud's always been. It's all focused on the business objectives. That's where we craft the plan. In the tech world, we like to celebrate the lone genius, but I'm just going to tell you right now, they're just the convenient face as founders to focus on. Welcome to Cloud Talk. Here's your host, Jeff Deverter. I first heard about IoT probably back in 2012, 2013 maybe. Uh, Rackspace had actually hired Robert Scoble and boy, he went down the IoT rabbit hole and it took me a little while to figure out what it exactly meant and what its application was. And holy cow, has it ever exploded in the world? Well, I'm, uh, I'm pleased to be joined today by uh, Simith Nambiar. And Simith is a practice lead for us here at Rackspace, uh, actually in Singapore. Uh, he's a practice lead for imaging technology, which uh, he's going to have to unpack for us here shortly. But uh, I want to welcome Simith. Welcome to Cloud Talk. I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, you know, uh, I'd ask you again, but we were just talking about the weather and it's always the same over there. So I can't ask you something clever about the weather, um, but you are about 14 hours ahead of me. So I hope I have a good day tomorrow. You can let me know how it goes. But uh, so, so practice lead for imaging technologies. Uh, unpack that for me. What does that mean? All right. So, Jeff, my role at Rackspace, I've been with Rackspace for the last one year, and my role has predominantly been looking around, you know, for new technologies that are sort of emerging, which have, you know, not, not yet completely matured, and there is no too many large-scale deployments. I can talk about things like uh, Internet of Things, industrial IoT for manufacturing and mining. It could be blockchain, uh, some of the new services in media entertainment. Uh, you know, you might have heard of Metaverse and things things like that. So everything interesting that is getting attention, that is getting the traction is something, you know, we are always looking to sort of explore and help customers with getting those, you know, uh, getting them started. Well, I'm, I'm really glad that we've got you doing that, that role and doing it in the region that you're in. It's super interesting. I find, um, you know, a lot of companies, it's amazing that even in 2022, a lot of companies are still figuring out, um, you know, how to lift and shift some stuff over into their cloud of choice. But yet you get to play with the cool new technologies. Um, and so, you know, as we think about IoT, you know, I think we're going to center around that a lot today, but you know, not exclusively. You know, what was the first IoT project that you worked on? 
All right. So uh, I have been, you know, sort of always uh, very keen and, you know, uh, curious about how do how does hardware work? How does a computer work? How do how do electronics work? So right from the start of my career, I used to be a software engineer uh, doing uh, software development, but my eyes were always on these devices. So my first project uh, typically was with one of um, one of the companies uh, back uh, back uh, in 2005. We were developing media terminal adapters, which is basically voice calling applications or hardware where uh, you do voice calls over the internet, right? So, Well, you were. Uh, that's early days in 2005. Absolutely. So writing protocol stacks, uh, writing applications on them to sort of make uh, phone calls. That's in- it's incredible. And, and was this residential type stuff? Was it commercial instances? It, what, who- it was more residential type. Okay. How was the uptake back in 2005? Did people get it? Yeah, they got it. But then the emergence of the mobile phone and, you know, all of those, once the mobile phone came in, people started tend to, you know, use that um, more and more. And uh, the uptake, you know, sort of was sort of declining. And uh, I started moving into uh, the server space where, you know, soft switches and signaling and all of those things. You went to the other end of the spectrum and and figured that out. So I think it's interesting. So were you guys trying to solve for, you know, you're, you're, you live in a part of the world where there's an awful lot of countries in a very spread out area. Were you helping to solve for, you know, how to make a cheaper call between relatives across region? Is that, is that, was that the business case? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, most of the work that we were doing was for countries in Europe, um, you know, around Japan. Uh, we were doing for uh, work for the U.S. as well. Uh, so uh, the, this this Asia Pacific region was sort of not 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 yet there. It was more for uh, the countries which are a bit more advanced in you know in this in these technologies at that time. But today, everything has changed. The you know the number of mobile subscribers in each country in Asia Pacific you know uh, has far outgrown what it was before. Yeah, the, the the mobile phone has been so transformative for so many people, especially in uh, you know where where you are in APAC. There's such a, a divergence between people who are really into tech and emerging folks, you know, trying to, uh, from an agri- even an agricultural perspective and access to these types of tools. So, so the mobile phone has been such an impact to the world in its connectivity and its access to information, which is, which is amazing. That's right. So, yeah. So, so, you know, then we jump into IOT, you know, you were, you mentioned before IOT, you were helping in, in, when we were, we were chatting before we started recording, you know, in a residential context and, you know, figuring out all the sensors and, you know, today I've got a, you know, house full of, of Apple home kit and still some smart things, stuff laying around, trying to make it all work together. What was it like back in when you started with, with the home sensors? Absolutely. So one of the jobs that I had, uh, you know, uh, was to work with a smart home company. We were developing, it was predominantly a CCTV camera company, then wanted to sort of, you know, pivot into digital home and and things like that. So then came a bunch of different sensors with different protocols uh, like Zigbee, there was BLE, there was, you know, Wi-Fi and all of that stuff. So you know, the problem there was there is no one winner in smart homes, right? Uh, the big ones like Samsung are still there. There are other players in the market as well. So there is a lot of heterogeneity in the way, you know, you bring out your product. For example, if you were to bring out a smart home product, you, you have to start thinking about integration with different sensors. And then once you integrate with the Nest thermostat or a door lock, you have to make sure the integration is updated as these vendors start to, you know, change these integrations. So there's a lot of 
work that goes on. And imagine a company which is doing all of this and they have to focus on building products. They have to focus on this integration. And then if something doesn't work, then you have to see all the Facebook and all the vendor websites where there are customers all complaining the about people. Absolutely. So security is really key for, you know, smart homes or connected products and uh, um, energy savings. If you have a great product, which is doing things like thermostats, which can sort of reduce your bills, then it's it's amazing. But integration is, again, key for, you know, being a success in smart homes. Well, that's so hard, too, because, you know, you think about, you know, Samsung and their smart things offering, you know, there, there's a huge difference between putting a washer and dryer or, or you know, the, the, a, a refrigerator out there and then putting a thousand different sensors all out that you've got to make sure all connect and for very non-technical people can make their smart home work. So what that means is I'm being a little bit of transparency here. Uh, so I'm married, I've got a wife. My wife is very <laughs> non-technical and I'm very geeky. And so I keep trying to bring all this tech into the house, but it has to pass the Michelle muster to being able to actually function. And that's the hard part. I mean, that's the end goal of all of this hard stuff is to let a layman be able to, you know, have the lights turn on at the right time and have the temperature be right and have the alarm turn on and all of those things. That's right, Jeff. You are you're absolutely right. I mean, um, um, all of these products should be taken, you know, brought into your home with a little bit of caution, because I'll give you an example of what I was sort of I, I went through when I was testing a few products in the market, right, when I was with my smart homes, um, you know, job. So take, for example, a thermostat. I wouldn't name a thermostat here. I, I'm not here to sort of talk about brands, right. but the, the generally what it does is it has features like home mode, away mode, and things like that, right? In home mode, what typically happens is the, you know, the heating is sort of brought up to us, you know, to the temperature that you desire. In away mode, it goes down so that it can save you some energy. It can save some energy and some bills, you know, the um, what you pay, the you know, the energy that is used, right? Yeah. But now start looking at it from another perspective imagine an intruder is walking around and looking for signals or is able to intrude into your home network and then gets into your thermostat right then it's very easy for them to learn well, where is this is it in home mode or away mode which is sort of giving an invitation to come and you know sort yeah. of come in breaking right so yeah, there no, are a lot no of <laughs> absolutely so a lot of things needs to be considered security is really important for uh, these connected products and that's a huge thing when companies start to think about providing or integrating IoT into their commercial offering. You know, we, mm -hmm. we talk about it for the past little bit about, you know, my wife or, you know, it's, is it away mode or is it home mode? But now dial it back to whether it's Nest or Ecobee or whoever that might be, or even farther back to the point of, say, a manufacturing company that mm -hmm. integrates uh, IoT sensors throughout the process so that they can, you know, have, have be more efficient, they have better quality and all the other reasons they might do it. But as these things get created, you know, security is first and foremost, at least it should be, because it's so much different than, here, let's release some software and I can just update it over time. But now we have these devices that are out in the wild and they may be literally out in a forest somewhere. We've got customers at Rackspace in the US, I know, who yeah. have some really interesting solutions like that. And dialing back the security or updating or patching becomes a real challenge. What are some of the things that you've noticed in in IoT and security and some recommendations and just general thoughts you might have there? 
Mm-hmm. So security is important across different domains, as you just said. It could be manufacturing, because with manufacturing, uh, pretty much you might be looking at national critical assets in you know which are owned by the government, or it could be owned by a private company, and these are critical, right? And there might be competitors or hackers looking to sort of disrupt your activities so that you don't produce more, your production sort of falls and the competitor takes over. For example, in automotive, if two companies are competing for a particular segment in the market, there's a likely chance that, you know, um, uh, if one one of the uh, manufacturers, you know, is not producing enough, there is an uptake of the other other manufacturer's products, right? So security is really important, both in manufacturing or even in connected products. When I say connected products, I'm talking about, you know, smart home products or healthcare device manufacturers building products for their, you know, hospitals like dye injection machines and things like that. Right. Yeah, that's it. So, you, you dial that in, and now we've gone from a level of oh, somebody could tell if I'm not home and take my stuff or change the temperature in my house. And now when we talk about you know connected products as it relates to healthcare, well, now we could be messing with this insulin pumps or all sorts yep. of other things that could have some very significant health impacts. Absolutely. Yep. The device manufacturers, especially in the healthcare, are uh, you know really tapping into some some of the benefits of uh, connecting their products. For example, I worked with the customer who was into sort of diagnostic imaging and dye injection and things like that. So when I met up with them, the first question I asked them is, "Why do you want to connect your products in the first place?" <laughs> yeah. So because why do you I want was... this level of pain in your life. Absolutely. And I was thinking that they're just doing it for, you know, just because everyone else is doing, but they came back to me with a real, uh, you know, couple of business cases where it was very clear that it's important for them to connect. So the first one they started talking to me was the way they operate today. So what I'm trying to say is the business models are changing with connected products, with connected products and connectivity being cheap and I know a lot of IoT platforms available from cloud providers. It has become a bit more easier so that, you know, customers can start thinking about now I have software that I can run on the edge, which is provided by the cloud provider, like free autos from Amazon Web Services, or it could be Greengrass from you know um, uh, AWS as well, right? That makes it very easy to connect. Now the coming back to the you know device manufacturers in healthcare. So the way they operated was once they create this product and ship it out to hospitals or to their distributors, and distributors sell it to hospitals. Their revenue stream is done. I mean, they don't have any opportunities to sort of interact with the hospital because they don't know where the hospitals are, right? And now what they are really losing out on is one, is all the consumables like, you know, uh, the dyes that they sell, which are, you know, very expensive. So the local manufacturers are producing this and servicing the hospitals. So they are losing that revenue stream, right? Second, once you're connected, you know what the components are working, how the components on your device are working. So what that means is you can be the point of contact for servicing these machines, which is, again, another revenue stream, right? Spare parts is 25 to 30% margins on spare parts. So imagine a customer who can connect their devices, have that relationship. It's a new relationship or a channel that they are having with the mobile phone app that the device manufacturer has. And then they can start thinking about upselling, cross-selling, spare parts, and all sorts of revenue streams that they can sort of expect. So 
to be really realistic, I think that's a great opportunity for a lot of manufacturers, uh, you know, device manufacturers. Well, well, and Simith, now you're now you're singing my song at this point because now you're talking about how digital, uh, effectively, if I were to dial this up a level, how digital transformation is helping new, helping existing companies find new revenue streams through the use of, of tech. So, you know, as opposed to just building a piece of manufacturing, a great piece of, of, of kit and selling it out to the world. And that's sort of the end of the experience. Now they've found additional revenue streams. You, know, you and I see examples of this day in and day out, not just in IoT, but especially in data. And you think about you think about all the data that that connected device is bringing back. Well, that in aggregate, you know, tells you about performance, where it's being used, any number of different things. But then that data specific, like what you're talking about, hey, I noticed this part's going bad. Would you like a new one? Hey, I noticed you're getting low on dye or you've used this much. Hey, I noticed that you're using more this month than last month. Can I interest you in a second of these devices so that you can, you know, put more, more, you know, patients or customers through your, your environment. That's the power of, of, of the technology driving innovation. Absolutely. So Jeff, that's a very important point. Data is driving a lot of these things. Um, I can give you a few examples from, you know, uh, connected products from um, industrial IoT or smart manufacturing as well. So for connected products, what customers are really looking at, I've just touched upon it a little bit in my, you know, um, in this session, but they're looking for more data. For example, um, just take um, an analogy of a web, web application where, you know, startups are, what they're trying to do is they're trying to figure out what are the features customers are using more as opposed to the ones which they are not using more, right? The exact same thing is happening in the IoT, you know, connected products area. So I'll give you an example. Kitchen appliance makers are trying to figure out, are you cooking more pizzas or are you cooking more cakes, right? And that- <laughs> well, I'll take the- both. I don't know about you, but, you know, <laughs> 50-50 is good for me. So now, if you're cooking cakes, um, you know, 30 times a month, then you need a larger oven, right? I can upsell because I can see the data coming through all the time, right? And then I can, I can look at what are the features being used. So then you become, you know, sort of going, putting on the customer's shoe and looking at how can I focus more on the features that is being used more rather than the ones which are not even used? So, so the product teams can start focusing more and more and, you know, exciting customers, right? So that's a great, you know, data that is coming through via telemetry of these devices. Well, and nobody likes their data shared, but then imagine, you know, that device manufacturer selling the data out to like here right in the U.S. I don't know what you guys use there, but there's a recipes.com is a big website of things. Yep. Now I can start to get, you know, if, if the device knows there's lots of cakes being made, well, maybe the recipes.com starts sending more cake recipes, mm-hmm. um, which would be very convenient. And then maybe connecting to Amazon and showing, you know, more ingredients for cakes, um, healthier ingredients, these sorts of things. Right. Yeah. So that was uh, connected products, Jeff. So if you start thinking about industrial IoT, that's another area where customers, I feel most of the business benefits, uh, you know, the direct impact of uh, industry, you know, IoT is in industrial smart manufacturing, it's in mining and things like that. So here, the problem statement is a little bit different. They do not want downtime. When I say downtime, it's one of the critical asset, you know, sort of not uh, failing, it's failing or it's not performing according to what they want 
right? So typically how manufacturers work is they have a demand signal coming from the customers saying that, look, this, this product is getting a lot of traction. Then they kick off their procurement processes where they procure all the things that are required to build the product. And then the production happens on the production line and uh, these goods are shipped to you know distributors and then to end consumers. So if you start looking at it end to end, manufacturing is a very critical process. Right. And if that breaks down, then their whole value chain breaks down. Now, more and more manufacturers are looking at how can I keep my production line 24 by 7 into 365 so that I can produce more service, more customers. Right. Now, how do you do that? You do that with sensors by knowing the state of all of these you know, uh, assets and then getting that data, liberating that data from the factory floor to the cloud and then getting real-time actionable insights so that they can start looking at trends on these critical assets and see, is this machine going to sort of fail in the next one week or in the, you know, in the next six hours? And if it is, they can send someone down, change those spare parts or fix those machines so that they reduce the downtime. And also the other areas that we are seeing is quality. Right now, they don't want wastage. For example, when you have just created hundred thousand parts, you want to make sure that the whole lot doesn't get wasted because there was one defect which was across the whole lot. They want to do it in real time. And how do you do that? You do that by liberating the data from these PLCs or programming logic controllers and all sorts of you know um, uh, devices or assets on the on the floor, and then start to get insights very quickly so that they can prevent all of these things. So it's a big, big saver for the you know uh, manufacturing industry and mining right. as well. You know, I, I watch this happen, uh, Simith, so much in technology, and that is somebody comes out with something new and exciting. You know, it's like when I first heard of IoT and was back in the early teens, and I thought, uh, neat, how do we use this? What's the application? You know, you think of it in, in, in residential or personal usage, and then you think of it in commercial usage. But what I get really excited about is when uh, this stuff starts to reach maturity or this, this groundswell, where now... You know, it's not this this solution running around looking for a problem. It's like there, there's a great solution for it. But if we take your manufacturing example and widen that aperture and think about the implications of that manufacturing line running well. Mm-hmm. All right. So that means that they're efficient. It means that that machine is always that that manufacturing line is always running, that the quality that comes out is exactly what they're looking for, or in some cases, even better. And they're able to fix and remedy challenges in real time. Well, Smith, we widen that aperture. It creates another problem. And the problem is in the form of supply chain. Well, if this machine, this manufacturing machine is running so well, it means that we've got to understand better the inputs, the raw materials, and ultimately Mm -hmm. then the outputs in their delivery. So it becomes this, this data dance becomes so much more important. Absolutely. Because all the while, manufacturers did not have much visibility into how the production is going. They were just forecasting and, you know, they just leave it to, you know, it's called run to fail. All these assets were, you know, they they knew that it is going to fail, but they didn't know uh, when it's going to fail. And they had sort of taken that um, as a part of the process. Now they are waking up and they are seeing that, look, it doesn't need to run like this. It can run in a much better fashion. It can be more operational 
operationally efficient and it can lead to a lot of other use cases that uh, you know are more into machine learning and things like that but that's not the first step of manufacturers we are seeing in asia pacific region is they are at a stage where they haven't even liberated the data from the factory floor and that's where we are seeing a lot of customers and we our focus has been there where we help them sort of start liberating it first take it to a cloud take it to the cloud where they have more compute more storage and then other managed services like you know ai uh, ml and you know all the other services that come together right and then they can start looking at in a year's time how can i take all this data and look at you know more advanced use cases like predictive maintenance anomaly detection and things like that so it's an interesting you know uh, time that we are in right now where you know we are able to help a lot of customers you know uh, sort of uh, transform their operations it's such an amazing time because you know, think manufacturing it's a thing that's happened forever whether it was very rudimentary or you know in the the steam manufacturing era you know st- stuff still got made it was messy but it got made um, but now being able to and i love the phrase i'm going to steal it from you i don't know if i'll give you credit but liberating the data from that manufacturing floor to 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 do in a sense anything get insights quality control um, maintenance all of those things it's pretty amazing. So that's manufacturing. Let's let's. You mentioned earlier, and I wanted to to dig into that. You know, is it a similar situation in in mining? Because you you mentioned it, or or are there different opportunities that exist there? Absolutely, it looks very similar. You know, if you think about how does mining work. So the way mining work, I've been to a lot of mines up in Western Australia uh, really? in my in one of my jobs where we used to do weather services for mining companies. So it was uh, sort of we um, our company could predict four kilometer by four kilometer weather you know patterns and things like that. And uh, we sort of went into agriculture mining. So I visited a lot of mines up in Western Australia. So. How it typically works, the end-to-end process for mining is um, first they lay down explosive on the, you know, in the mines, they blast it, they blast it, and then they take all these boulders, um, you know, with those uh, large trucks that they have, and each of those tires cost like $100,000 for each of those tires of those trucks. And then it goes into a place where they start crushing all of this stuff, right? That they have sort of uh, blasted. When it is crushed, it, it is formed into smaller pieces of rock. And then it goes down the conveyor belt where, you know, different products are sort of, you know, created from that. And then it's shipped via rail or by via sea to the end destination. So this is the end-to-end mining process. Now, again, if you think about it, very similar to manufacturing, if any of these critical assets break down, Right, it can cause millions of dollars of losses for these companies now oh, on a daily this, basis. Absolutely. So, if they start looking at how can I monitor all my critical assets first and make sure that they are running on time, I mean, they can run for the next uh, you know 24 hours, 48 hours, and then start monitoring them using, let's say, for example, vibration sensors uh, on motors. Right. So, when they when they vibrate, you get all sorts of signals as to the acceleration and all the different you know movements that are happening, and then you have some algorithms where you can figure out okay, is there a problem with the particular part of this motor? And then these are things that they don't have insights into. 
right? And they have these solutions here and there, but they are sitting in silos. The problem is um, they are sitting in silos in the sense that the operational people have to go into different systems and they don't have a single pane of glass view as to the end-to-end operations. So that's where liberating data here becomes more and more important for mining companies as well so that their critical assets run all throughout and they make the impact that they want to make in the, in the market. Well, it sounds like if we were to kind of ex- extrapolate this into into any other industry, we think about liberating data. It makes a whole lot of sense to do. We think manufacturing, we think mining. When you have a big, long end-to-end process that has lots of moving parts, if you will, and things that can go wrong or things that can go right. Now, how do you monitor and quality control all through that? And what do you ultimately then do with that data? Is it just Absolutely. awareness? Is it response? Is it, was it whatever? Right. So, Jeff, so what does all of this lead to? Now, if you start, you know, take a step back and think about it. Now, if I know that this particular asset is going to sort of fail, you know, these are, this could be assets which are 20 years, you know, has a legacy asset of 20 years ago. It was sort of installed on the plant or it could be a modern one. So the point here is now think about uh, impending, you know, failure, right? What happens is most of the mining companies would not have spare parts, right? Now they know that this thing is going to fail in the next 48 hours. Let me order spare parts or, you know, let me bring in the right technician, right? Otherwise, what's happening is they bring in the technician once it's failed. So the technician might be coming on a helicopter or might be have to flown in from another country because these are very specialized equipment now. Everything is in order. You're not spending more. You have inventory of spare parts, right? So there are a lot of things that goes behind the scenes when you start implementing, you know, things like this, where you start getting real-time view of assets, right? It's so, a great point. So when you think about, like you mentioned, those big trucks have those $100,000 tires on them, and those big trucks have other $100,000 pieces of componentry on them as well. Even just if you mentioned it before, kind of in passing, but I wanted to dig into it or at least call it out is managing inventory. So before, if they didn't want to go down and they wanted the process to keep running, they had to inventory lots of really expensive stuff. And that costs money, whether you're financing it or whether you bought it outright. Um, And to be able to not have to inventory it, but be able to get into a just-in-time scenario of maintenance and management but that saves millions of dollars for organizations like this. Absolutely. And the other problem, uh, Jeff, is that when you do this sort of, so they have maintenance runs. All of these will have like three months or one month uh, schedules of uh, maintenance runs. So if the, pers- if the person going in is not so familiar with the equipment, they might go and change the wrong spare part, which was working perfectly fine, right? And it might create a problem instead of, you know, having a positive impact on uh, the schedule, the maintenance itself. So with the real-time insights, you know exactly what to change, right? There could be a part which can run for another year and you're going and changing that instead of, you know, letting it run for more time. So if you think about it, the impact is really big on how these, you know, data transformation or digital transformation can impact the way these customers are sort of, you know, uh, getting benefits out of it. It's amazing when you think about the the opportunity for savings there. You know, we moved into a robotic, you know, I was going to show my age here a little bit, but I remember as a young, young guy watching TV and you, and they were, it was all this, it was when in the U.S., 
um, Detroit was just getting decimated mm-hmm. because the rest of the world was creating cars better and faster uh, than yep. they were. And so there was so much robotic implementation into the auto manufacturing process, you know, even you know, the quality control of the paint and everything that went into that. But those, even in those scenarios, especially in those scenarios, you know, that's when we really started to look for those tolerances of when is that robot? When is that process? When is that piece of machinery, you know, not working as well as it should? And when could it fail? Because there really are, there, we should call the delineation out. And sometimes things just get a little bit out of spec and need some attention. Sometimes they need to be replaced. Yep. That's true. And all of these things that you just spoke about also helps manufacturers to identify defects. Uh, When I say identify defects, it's not identifying, you know, there is a defect or not. It's identifying what, you know, because this is a multi-step process we are talking about, right? Either manufacturing or producing a new, you know, sort of product from mining. So what was the process parameter at this particular step in the process and then they can go and sort of troubleshoot that particular instance of why this happened. They can go and go to the root cause very easily now. Otherwise, they do not have the data. They don't know what happened, right? Now you're sort of tapping into more and more process control data. And now you have that visibility going in and data scientists, ML engineers can go in and get this data. They can sort of figure out and you know have a good resolution to these problems. And they will never occur again because you know that you know, this is a, this is the root cause for this. So that's a really great point because then if we also look at this in the macro and now we're the manufacturer of that part that, that either, you know, failed inside of this very specialized uh, machine, we can, we can, we can rewind the clock and look at what the behavior was. What were those log files doing? Now we have a, maybe a pattern and now that pattern can be applied to the other thousand of these they have running all around the globe yep. and now say, Hey, look, you got 30 days to get that fixed before it, before it goes bump in the night. Um, you, know, you said it's right, Jeff. That's that's the way they, they are using this data. And that's how the scale and the impact of this is. You know, you find a product, you find a problem in one production line, you take that learning and then use it across the globe wherever your factories are and improve your production, you know, efficiency. So, you know, some folks who might be listening to this going, you capitalists, you're just trying to make more money. Um, but but with this whole thing applies in all aspects of manufacturing. Let's talk about, let's go back to healthcare. And we talked about insulin pumps before, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the old days, you know, it was a finger prick. It was a measure. It was put a, you know, drop of blood on a, on a little piece of paper that's going to tell blood sugar and then a shot. That was that was that was our diabetic experience, and I've got a friend that um, uh, you know his 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 daughter uh, became diabetic at a at a super young age, and you know and now it's this patch that goes on the arm that's managed by a phone, and it's all connected, <laughs> and the data is going up to the doctor, and you now have all sorts of eyes on the health of of this young young little girl, uh, where where you never would have had that before. Mm-hmm. Yep. There are a lot of uh, disruptive uh, devices coming into the market and they are really, some of them are really good. They work, you know, according to the plan. Some of them, you know, have not really been successful. Uh, so there are, there are a good lot of uh, vari- you know, variety of devices there. So you need to be careful, as I said, security and uh, <laughs> that's really important. Uh, certifications are required to, you know, get past uh, uh, or bring products like this into market. So they go through all of that stuff. But the problem, what I'm seeing more and more is um, 
customers are, I mean, these device manufacturers, they are on a race. They want to sort of be in the market as soon as possible because of these are typically startups and uh, uh, they want to be there. They want to be the first to be in the market. But the problem is they don't focus on security a lot because they think that, look, that's not it's not a feature, right? Yeah, but what this isn't happens a security to- product. Why would I care about security? <laughs> right. Is, I'm trying to pump insulin here. Yeah. So introducing security into the product is really important because that should be the first step. Once you launch a product, then you can't think about security, you know, because it will be too late. And what happens is once your product is out there and someone hacks into your product, because you're talking about a device, you know, in the hands of a customer and the customer could be a hacker and or a tinkerer. Right. And I, I, I might open up this device and see, hey, what's inside? OK, now can I connect? I recognize to this that chip. I know how to get in there. <laughs> yeah. Can I get into this port uh, through this port? And can I launch a small piece of code on this particular device and see what happens? And then if you can break into such devices, then the problem is that, look, it's going to be all over social media and then your brand value is going down so there's no escape from there for you so security is really important for connected products i can't stress that enough yeah you know Simith, it's not just in this it's in everything i mean security now should be the number one feature in hardware and in software of course they all go together um in everything that happens. I mean, we live in a world where people are looking for a way to exploit someone else to their own gain, whether that is an insulin pump or it is a multi-million dollar you know, machine moving massive multi-ton rocks to ultimately get pulverized. It's yep. super important. All right. I've got to ask you another question. We're getting a little long here, but um, what gets you excited about tech in the future? What, what do you think? Uh, they don't know it yet, but this is what's around the corner. <laughs> So uh, predictive maintenance or, you know, um, using a lot of machine learning is becoming more and more important because uh, what customers have been doing right now is collecting a lot of data, looking at trends. So it's easy for me to look at a particular critical asset and say, all right, if the temperature goes beyond 70 or 80 degrees, then raise an alarm or, you know, alert the operational personnel. But that's super easy. But what happens, these are, you know, sort of assets which are a bit sophisticated. They have a lot of inputs, like thousands of uh, or uh, more than that of inputs per second that's coming out, outputs per second that are coming out of these devices. Now, when you look at that sort of storm of data coming in, you are, it's hard for you to have a pattern-based or, sorry, a rule-based system where you just look at, you know, thresholds and say, okay, if it goes beyond that, then this is this. How do you start looking at patterns, right? So that's that's where it gets more interested, where machine learning algorithms, where you can start predicting, right? You can create machine learning models and start predicting as to the exact pattern that you're seeing and then sort of take actions on that. So that's where it is going, not even not just in manufacturing, it's also in mining. That's the end game for most of our customers where they want to reach a state where they have models that are, you know, continuously sort of updated as as they find new patterns and they can be on top of the game, right? Yeah. Yeah. But models that are secure because we want to make Absolutely. sure the predictions <laughs> are real. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it involves a lot of testing. It's not a three months process. It's a journey, I would say. All of the things that I'm talking about here is not like, you know, you get done with it and you're you're done. It's not like that. It has to be a journey. It has to be refined over a period of time. It has to be sort of, you know, improved. So refined and expanded because because imagine your challenge is to go into companies and say, okay, 
I, I hear what you want to do, but let's start with this small thing and prove the success because on that nugget, we can build everything else. Absolutely right. Yeah. Baby steps. Smith, this is a fascinating conversation. Going to have to have you back so we can dig into this some more. Thank you so much for taking the time to, to visit with me today. Thanks, Jeff. It was really nice talking to you. Some of the questions I really enjoyed, you know, uh, coming from you. Amazing. Awesome. All right. Hey, have a great day and uh, we'll get you back here. Thanks, Jeff. This has been Cloud Talk. You can find Cloud Talk wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And be sure to check out more content from Rackspace Solve at solve.rackspace.com. Well, what a great conversation with Smith. I'm inspired as a technologist by all of the problems and challenges that sensors can help us solve. I do have to admit that for me, there's a limit to how much I want my appliances in the name of convenience spying on my cooking habits. What do you think about all this? Let me know. I really want to hear. Send me an email over here at cloudtalk at rackspace.com. It'll hit me as well as the entire production crew, so someone will absolutely get it, and I'd love to include your thoughts in a future episode. Now, have you started joining the Cloud Talk live sessions that happen every Tuesday and Thursday at 8.30 a.m. Central Time? Well, they are lots of fun, and through the comments section there, you can actually be a part of the conversation. I hope to see you there. Well, that's about it for this week's episode of Cloud Talk. We'll have a fresh one out for you and available next week. So for Cloud Talk and your entire production crew, I'm your host, Jeff Deverter. <laughs>